I don't see why I should preach at all. I, I was having a good time down there. <laughs> this singing is superb. And language can't really express joy I have in meeting uh, Mr. and Mrs. Doherty. Did I say it right? <laughs> he always brings something good and refreshing to my spirit. He made me think of the, um, the teacher who was preparing a class of boys because the inspector was coming to examine them on the prodigal son. So the teacher drummed it into the children week after week after week until they knew it backward. When the inspector came, he said, who knows the story of the prodigal son? Put your hand up. So a little kid put his hand up. He said, do you know it? He said, of course I do, sir. Uh, man had two sons, and one of them was sick and tired, and he went, uh, all right, all right, all right. What happened when he came home? <clears throat> well, sir, his daddy, who had been looking for him for a long time, he saw him in the distance, and he ran, and he fell on his neck, and he killed the fat-headed calf. <laughs> now, hold it. That's what should have happened when, like a stupid idiot, I went off to the far country and came home again. But as our brother put it, instead of killing us, he put his arms around us. And ladies and gentlemen, that grace, undeserved, but marvelous. All right. Will you find John chapter 8 for the beginning of the little journey I want to take tonight? John chapter 8. The pastor asked me again this morning what I was going to preach about tonight. And I think I shocked him when I said I was going to, about to speak about the greatest preacher in the world who had no face. He didn't ask where the text was because he knew we wouldn't get it. <laughs> The greatest preacher in the world had no face. Somebody has said that conscience is the whisper of God in a man's soul. It's, it's the watchdog that will not remain silent in the presence of an intruder. Conscience, I guess, is the divinely installed equipment that gives warning when the sanctity of the soul is being invaded. Conscience is the siren that issues screams to tell us when things are not right. Conscience is that piece of equipment operated by God who sends again and again his warnings which unfortunately are sometimes ignored by stupid people. In the light of that, I think I am justified in saying conscience is the greatest preacher ever because there's not a man nor woman in any nation on the planet Earth at this time but what God has a receiving station built in. Now then, my task tonight is to show you that, if I can, 
in the Bible. In John chapter 8, I'm reading now at verse 1, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. Uh, what sayest thou? Ladies and gentlemen, that was dirty. This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So, when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast the stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, here we go, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. For you ministers, number one, the Pharisees who realized their predicament. I guess it all started in a lawyer's office. You see, the Jews were up against us. They had tried to stop this meddlesome carpenter. They had tried to get him caught in his words. They had failed completely. As a matter of fact, on one occasion, they even sent the priest to arrest him. And the sergeant of priests only made one mistake. Instead of doing his job, he stopped to listen and got enthralled. And when he went back without the prisoner, they said, where is he? He said, never man speak like this man. <laughs> so they were up against it. And one day, can you see this? In a lawyer's office, the lawyer, perhaps with his eyes like beads, he said, Ha! Huh, you'll never catch him. You might as well face it. He's too clever for you. You'll never get him. Well, what are we going to do? Oh, he said, for a price, I can tell you how to do it. You can? Of course. Do you mean to say you, you can get that Jesus? He said, no doubt about it. How? And he unfolded his scheme. When he finished, they gasped and said, Glory be to God, we've got him. Can't fail this time. And that night, they took a poor woman in her sin, dragged her mercilessly through the street, threw her into a corner of the cell, and waited for dawn. And when the news came, that Jesus was already speaking to people, they said, good, now then. And they probably made a spectacle, dragged her by the hair, 
When they got into his presence, they shot her to his feet. It is Master. <laughs> We've got a problem. This woman was taken in the act of adultery. With no doubt about it, we got her. Now Moses in the law said she ought to be stoned. But what do you say? If he had said stone her, they'd have done it on the spot. Knowing the people would have accused him of being a hypocrite. He taught that God loved sinners and he, he'd, he'd have been there while, while they stoned her to death. If he said no, they could arrest him for breaking the law. That in both ways. So he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And ever since, the preachers and theologians have argued as to what he wrote, and nobody seems to know except me. <laughs> that's, that's my deep humility coming out. But I'm not kidding. I, I think I know what he wrote, and so should you. Ah, uh, Master, uh, hey, this is a sinner. No kidding, she's a sinner. We caught her in the act. They did. Moses in the law said she ought to be stoned. Moses never said such a thing. Shall I read for you in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10? And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, listen, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Moses said both of them should be stoned. They brought the woman, the man had been paid to act and to do a job. They didn't want him. All they wanted was to embarrass Christ and stop him. So the man was allowed to go. The woman had to pay. The rotten hypocrites. So he stooped down and he uh, wrote again. I think he wrote that law. They said, hey, hey teacher, you, you make the deaf to hear. Surely you're not deaf yourself. And they looked over. Ha ha, boy. He said, all right. Let him that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. And they were already reading it. And I believe he put some of their secrets in the dust. What about that blonde round the corner? What about that secretary in the office when you're supposed to be doing overtime? And when these hypocrites came and looked, they said, Oh my God, who told him about me? <laughs> and they, beginning at the eldest, of course, they lived longer, they had most to hide. Gee. Come on, let him that is without sin cast the first stone. 
boy, I can't do that. What if he stands and... I don't know how he found out, but what if he stands up and says what he knows about me? Uh-oh. And the old boy started to back up. Yeah. Until he was at the back of the crowd and then he ran for his sweet life. <laughs> and he wasn't going fast enough because the others caught up with him. <laughs> and Jesus was left alone with the woman. Conscience had plowed up their minds. Number two. See, I, I, I want to put my pictures before you because they speak for themselves. Number one, the Pharisees who realized their predicament. They sure did. Now the scene changes. Peter, who reached the porch... You want to turn over your pages to Mark chapter 14 and let me read for you. <clears throat> In verse 68. Ah, uh, well, maybe I should start in verse 67. When the girl saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, Thou also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not. Neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch. See this? Master, let's get one thing straight now. Simon Peter never failed anybody. And he's not going to start with his master. So don't say that I'll deny you because I never will. Get it straight now. Oh, Peter, Peter, Peter. You'll never deny me? Never. I'll die first. I'll go with thee to prison and to death, but I'll never deny you. <sighs> You'll do it three times before the cock crows. Ah, master. And disgusted, Peter turned away. He was seated at the enemy's fire. I don't want to waste time giving you details. You've heard thousands of times. But he was there, see? And somebody had said, Hey, fella, I, I did, I saw you, with Jesus of Nazareth. You didn't. I don't know him. Now, in the midst of all this lot, suddenly, and Peter went to the porch. I don't know how many feet or yards it, it was between the fire and the porch. But the heat of the fire suddenly diminished because Peter was outside. He could see the stars and feel the cool breezes blowing upon his feverish face. If he had continued and gone out into the night, a tragedy might have been averted. But if you read the other Gospels and compare them with each other, he stopped in the porch and he went back again, and soon he was out of the frying pan into the fire. And his conscience was blazing hot. And suddenly in the cool night air, the sound of a cock crowing. And instinctively, even before he knew what he was doing, Peter looked. And the Lord looked. And the Lord looked on Peter. Peter. 
Dear God, if I had been the leader of that party, I would have withered him. Ah, you hypocrite. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Bah! That would have been overpower. And I would have advertised my stupidity. The Lord didn't scold him. He didn't jump on him. Boy, he loved him and it broke Peter's heart. And he went out into the night and the tears were flowing. But what took him to the porch? God was broadcasting. The warning was being emitted. Peter, 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 get out, get out. I say, how many of you have heard that warning again and again and again and you've been as stupid as Peter was? Is there any man or woman, young or old, in this service tonight, and honest to God, you should have been a Christian ages ago, and God has called and called and called and warned and warned and warned, and if you've gotten in a mess, don't blame God, it's your fault. The father never asked the prodigal to take a vacation. The man was so stupid, he had made his own plans. And he was as foolish as some of us. I want you please just to get this. The Pharisees who realized their predicament, Peter who reached the porch, how about Herod who remembered his past? Matthew 14, 1 and 2, may I read it for you? Matthew 14, 1 and 2. Oh, this is a hot one. Let me find the place. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus. And he said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. And therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Hey, young people down here, I love to have you. Hey, I don't know what about these old folk, but can you see this? A ballroom in the palace. It's the king's birthday, and they're having a shindig. Oh. <laughs> the king is seated on a throne, see? And there are guests there from every part of the blessed nation, and they're having a ball. And the king clapped his hands. He said, get back, get back. I've got a surprise for you. So they scuffled their feet and they were the guests, lords and ladies, were all, all, all around the walls. And the king, well, he'd been drinking. He, 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 he's half drunk, you know. And he was sitting on the edge of, of the throne. He said, are you ready? Now! He gave the signal. The curtains at the one end of, of the hall parted. Whew! In came a dancing girl. She didn't have too much clothing on because her hateful mother knew how to affect stupid men. But that night she seemed to be inspired of hell. Do you know boys and girls as she danced? It was so graceful. It was, it was marvelous. It, no sound. No sound. It, it, except the scuffling of her feet. She went up and down and round and in and out. And at last it came to a marvelous climax. She had danced her way up the hall. She came to the foot of the throne, and down she went. And pandemonium broke out. 
Wonderful, wonderful. Did you ever see a girl dance like that? She's marvelous, marvelous. And the king was so excited, he sort of half stood up. He said, girl, 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 ask anything you want up to the half of my kingdom. And she, being before instructed by her mother, said, Sir, I don't want the half of your kingdom. Well, what do you want? The head of John the Baptist. Oh, boy. He said, what? I don't want the half of your kingdom, sir. But you know that preacher fellow you put in prison? I want his head. And now the king looked at the crowd. They were yelling and waving their arms. She's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. He said, oh my God, if I don't give it to her, they'll go away from my party and say I broke my word. Mm. And it became obvious, men and women, either his pride or his prisoner had to die. Captain, give it to her. Hey, down the steps in the dirty old cell, was a young preacher. And he heard the footsteps coming. And perhaps, I don't know, but perhaps the last thing he did was to kneel down and pray. By and by, the captain came up, or the sergeant, wherever he was, he had a kind of a tray. And the head of John the Baptist was on it. And he walked to the king and he said, Sir, you asked for the head of John Baptist. I don't want it. Give it to her. And the girl took one look and nearly fainted. And with her eyes shut, she stumbled through the curtains to her hateful mother. She said, Oh, mother, get out of the way. And that woman took the tray and looked at the head. Ha! I said I'd get you. Now preach. Bible says he didn't want to do it, but for the people's sake. And the days passed by. One day a nobleman came into the palace. He said, O king, have you heard the news? What news? Who? You have? About the prophet? Hey, he's wonderful. And guess what? He doesn't fear anybody. And Herod's nerves were all up in knots. He said, how old is he? Well, 30-ish. What is he dressed like? Mm, like a wilderness, a mountain preacher. What does he say? Oh, he talks about sin. And he fears nobody. He said, oh my God, I know who that is. That's John Baptist. He's come back to life again. And that night he was scared to go to his bedroom. And I don't think he slept. Because he fully believed that John Baptist had come back to life and before dawn the tables would be turned and his head would go. Conscience. 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 And the poor guy was so upset. Until one day he was going through the country and he saw a crowd and one of his companions said, That's it, that's the man! Look! And Herod got closer. He said, wait a minute. That fellow talking? Yeah. You know, the man, you told me about it. That, that's the man. Gee. Good Lord, and I was upset. 
Oh, he's not like the rest of them. Ah. Hey, tell you what to do. Go down. No, don't spoil his purpose. Wait till the end and you put on a show and say, Master, run for your life. You say, why? Oh, um, we overheard Herod boasting about how he killed John the Baptist and now he swears he's going to kill you. Master, we can't afford to lose two prophets. Run for your life. He said, you'll be gone. So they went down and they put on the show and Jesus looked at them. He said, he sent you to me. Go and tell that fox. I work today and I work tomorrow and the third day I'll be perfected and he can't do anything about it. That day, young people, that king slammed a door in his soul that never opened again. The only man, preachers, the only man in the New Testament to whom Jesus had nothing. Do you want to see another? I'm trying to talk about this conscience business. Herod who remembered his past. Oh, here's another. Judas who regretted his past. Do you know that Judas was an ordained minister? That may maybe shock you. But we are told that when the Lord called twelve disciples, he, he commissioned them to go and preach. And there is no record that Judas was insincere. When he went out with a companion to preach, I believe he was as passionate, as sincere, as desireless as anybody. Put the best into it. When he was appointed to look after the collection, they never had a collection, look after the, whatever money they had. He looked at it, he said, oh, ha this is good. And one day he felt he had neither little money, so he helped himself. He stole it out of the collection. Uh, he never took a collection, but there was a wealthy woman with others who followed him. She was the prime minister's wife. And while the Lord never asked for money, he never refused it from people who wanted to help. And Judas thought, ah, man, they, 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 they'll never miss this. And he got away with it. And then he took some more. And then he took some more. And as things came to a climax, he went to the enemies. He said, listen to me, you'll never take him unless you help. And I'm the one to help you. And I'll do it for a price. Ladies and gentlemen, have you ever asked what might have happened if Judas had not been possessed of the devil? I know, I know what the fundamentalists will say, and I know that the Lord had to be betrayed, and all about the scriptures. But what might have happened, humanly speaking, if that man had gone the right way instead of the wrong way? came to the parting of the roads. He wanted a kingdom and now the Lord was going off toward a cross. Right back in the fork, Judas stopped and said, Oh my God, I'm never going to be first in the kingdom. I'm not going to be chancellor of the exchequer. God helps those who help themselves. And he went and sold Jesus for the price of a slave. Thirty pieces of silver. He said, that's it. That's Give me my money. 
And I'll take you to him because you'll never find him, but I know where he, his haunt is. And he went down the hill to the Garden of Gethsemane, and you know he kissed the Lord. And as a matter of fact, I, I think you preachers should know this. There are two different words for kiss, at least two in the New Testament. He didn't go along and, hey, master, and just kiss him, because everybody kisses everybody, especially the men in the Middle East. Oh, no, it's the other word. The passionate kiss of a lover. The passionate kiss of a lover. And then he stooped back and they, they got Jesus. Ah, but I've got my money! <laughs> he looked at it and somehow the shine had gone. Started burning a hole in, no, not in the palm of his hand, but in his soul. And the longer he held them, the hotter they seemed to be. And he said, oh my God, what have I done? I have betrayed innocent blood. It wasn't long before he opened the door, disheveled man with his hair all over the chute. And he went in, shielded his eyes from the light. And one of the counselors said, what do you want? He said, you know what I've done? What have you done? He said, I've betrayed innocent blood for these rotten things. And he slammed them down, young people, until those coins rolled or slithered to the wall. Oh, they say, what are you growling about? It was your idea. You've been paid well. See to it. And you know, he went out. And it wasn't long before he was dangling at the end of a rope. He hung himself. And I, I, I all the time wonder, before he put the noose over his head, He'd already fastened it somewhere, and before he jumped off whatever he was standing on, did he stop and think? Conscience. Made him throw the money down. But unfortunately, he had gone too far. There was no retreating. But see, God was doing his part. Now, I guess if I wanted, I could go on, but I don't want one more, that's all. Have you got them all so far? The Pharisees who realized their predicament, Peter who reached the porch, Herod who remembered his past, Judas who regretted his pact, and Paul who resolved his problems. Paul could never get it out of his system. He'd been a persecutor, he had actually murdered people. No wonder he kept on saying, I am the chief of sinners. And we'll never know how often he thought about it. If only he could have his time over again. Boy, he'd have changed things, wouldn't he? Never forgot. But when he wrote to Timothy, he said, guess what, son? I resolved my problem. I was as guilty as hell, worse than anybody else. And my conscience was tormenting me. But St. Timothy, do you know what I did? What, Paul? I gathered them all up, all my guilt, all my failings, all my memories, all the accusations. I gathered the whole lot up, and I brought them to Jesus, and I obtained mercy. I obtained mercy. His grace pardoned me. 
His blood cleansed me. And his kindness took me in. And I don't worry anymore, son. In fact, I'm trying every day and every night to have a conscience void of offense. But without his pardoning grace, I would be in a mess. One story. We used to have, uh, well, we had many, but we had two outstanding evangelical preachers in England. Dr. Jowett of immortal fame. Hey, a long time ago, that's how I got in. And everyone who's ever gotten in, that's how they got in. And if there's somebody here tonight, and you know full well things aren't right, hey, I, I did it deliberately. I've been talking about conscience. Did that relate to you? Oh, I know, I know, I know how you act. Because if I knew you personally, and if I came to you and talked, oh, you'd smile like a blessed angel. You know it all. But when you're by yourself, you can't fool yourself nor God. And it's awfully difficult to go to sleep with a nagging conscience. I am authorized to tell you there's no sin but what his blood can cleanse it away. There's no doubt but what he can remove. And there's no weakness but what slap bang in the middle of it. He can make perfect his strength. Don't go home with a nagging conscience. Bring it to Jesus. And stay as did Bunyan. Blessed cross. Blessed sepulchre. Blessed rather be the man who there was put to shame for me. Then you'll sleep. Then you'll have peace. <laughs>